You're listening to Human Rights Talks, organized by the Montreal Institute for Genocide and Human Rights Studies. Hello, everyone. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you, Ambassador, for, for being here today and for agreeing to do this with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, we, what we want to discuss today is first uh, your, a bit of your role as uh, the ambassador at the, uh, representing Ukraine at the UN but also what it means that Russia is, uh, still has a seat at the UN Security Council. Um, and if, uh, just a reminder as well, this, this, um, this uh, uh, Twitter space is being recorded. So um, we will also transform it into a podcast um, uh, episode after for everyone to have a listen to. So Ambassador, um, in Ukraine, Russia is pursuing an illegal war of aggression and conquest. And President Putin is facing an arrest or warrant for war crimes. Yet in April, uh, Russia assumed the presidency of the UN Security Council. And you have described this as, as an absurdity. Um, what does Russia's turn uh, to take up the monthly presidency say about the, the state of their Security Council? and uh, which is actually designed to, pre- to prevent conflicts. Right. I think it is the lowest uh, moment in the history of uh, the Security Council ever since uh, it was established, because I do not recall any instances when, uh, the, where, when any country that uh, was waging uh, illegal war would uh, be allowed to preside the uh, Security Council. It is, in fact, the logical um, result of uh, decades uh, of complacency of many countries around the world uh, when it comes to the Russian actions um, at the global stage. Because, in fact, it's not the first time that Russia uh, invades uh, a foreign country. Uh, Let's uh, remind about what happened uh, de facto in Transnistria, in Moldova, then followed by uh, Georgia in 2008, followed by the uh, attempted illegal annexation, and followed by the occupation of Crimea in 2014. So I think that um, nothing new under the sun. However, it was exactly the first uh, time ever that uh, the aggressive state was presiding the Security Council. And, and what do you say? What does it say about the global, the, 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 the global peace and security infrastructure that we have now? I know there have been problems at the uh, Human Rights uh, Council as well. Um, what, what I need to say, first of all, that the Security Council, as designed in 1945, uh, has no uh, means and ways uh, to deal with the situation where. Uh, an aggressor is um, a country that sits in a permanent seat of the Security Council. Therefore, um, the question is uh, very clear that uh, the Security Council is emancipated, uh, emasculated, sorry, when it comes uh, to its ability to withstand the aggressor who sits in the permanent uh, seat. On the other hand, it would not be true to say that the Security Council is totally inefficient because uh, there are at least uh, 49 agenda items on the Security Council agenda. Um, Many of those agenda items are quite important, like uh, 12 peacekeeping operations mandates or 14 uh, 
sanction regimes. Uh, of course, uh, the agenda item on Ukraine, uh, which is called maintenance of peace and security of Ukraine, is one of the most prominent and one of the most uh, uh, important from the point of view of global security. But nevertheless, uh, uh, it seems to be the only agenda item where the Security Council is paralyzed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I know you have described in our discussions, we, you have described Russia's status as a permanent member of the UN Security Council as, as illegal, and I've seen this argument elsewhere. elsewhere. Can, you, uh, can you explain why, and do you think Russia should lose its seat on the UN Security Council? Well, it's a, quite a very long conversation, but let me remind of some of the um, elements of our position. Well, first of all, if you open the uh, UN Charter, Article 23, uh, that speaks about the composition of the Security Council, uh, in the year 2023, you still read that it is the Soviet uh, Union that um, is uh, the permanent member of the um, Security Council. In fact, uh, for your listeners, it may be interesting to uh, recall that uh, the last time the UN Charter was amended was in 1973, which is almost, or rather exactly, uh, 50 years ago, half a century ago. Um, so it took, um, it, so by, as a matter of fact, the, the, the Charter speaks about the Soviet Union, as I said. Another thing is that... Um, what you, if you look what happened in December 1991, that was the outrageous uh, bypassing of uh, the Charter itself and um, of uh, the rules and regulations uh, of considering uh, the applications or desires uh, of uh, any country uh, to be a member uh, of uh, the United Nations. Let me remind you that uh, on the 24th of December, the Russian President Yeltsin sent a letter to the Soviet ambassador here in New York, because Russia had no ambassadors uh, in New York in December 1991, a letter letter addressed uh, to the Secretary General uh, of the United Nations, in which uh, President Yeltsin spoke about the intention of uh, the Russian Federation to continue the Soviet membership. So the Soviet ambassador, Yuli Varensov, sent that letter to the uh, the addressee, who was... uh, Secretary-General Javier Perez de Coelho, on the same day, he received that letter, and what did he do? He sent it to the President of the Security Council, because uh, it is up to the Security Council to express its opinion on the issues of membership. So, who was the President of the Security Council at that moment? It was the very same Ambassador Yuli Varensov who sent him the letter, so the circle was complete. What happens next? Everybody goes on Christmas break, because it was the 24th of December. What happens after the Christmas break? Everybody goes back to the Security Council. They meet for the first time uh, since the letter was sent. And what do we see? We see that Yuli Varensov, who was the Soviet ambassador until Christmas break, all of a sudden becomes the Soviet ambassador So there was not a single discussion in the Security Council or in the General Assembly, let alone any vote. In fact, 
The Security Council is obliged to report to the General Assembly uh, every year about its work. So the Security Council reported in uh, June uh, 1992, which is the following year, after the events that I'm describing. And in its report to the General Assembly, uh, the, the Security Council told the uh, General Assembly that, and it, on the page 277 of the report, the Security Council informed the General Assembly that Yeltsin's letter was brought to the attention of the Security Council, but it was not discussed by, this, by the Council during the period covered. So you see, the fact is whether you agree with me or not, it, it is a matter of fact mm -hmm. that uh, the Russian intention to occupy the Soviet seat has never been discussed and has never been put to a vote. Yeah, no, I, I and I've seen I've seen your the you know the idea that you, that you present here um, in Foreign Policy magazine as well. So you're not the only one. But what, what should be done or could be done to remove Russia from the UN Security Council? I mean, especially since considering that um, China has, I mean, Russia has a veto power and then China has a veto power and it's completely, it's completely unlikely to start these discussions as well because its own position and membership could be actually questioned. Well, it's not only about China or Russia, uh, it's uh, about all permanent members of uh, the Security Council because... Um, um, you know, what happened in 1991, uh, the permanent members of Security Council, the nuclear powers, they were very much concerned about what might have happened uh, to the Soviet nuclear arsenal. So, I mean, the Russians uh, understood that very quickly and they come up uh, with assurances uh, to other nuclear states and they said, you know, uh, we guarantee you that we would take control of uh, uh, the nuclear arsenals of the Soviet Union and um, uh, that would ensure non-proliferation. There was also the issue about uh, huge Soviet debt and Yeltsin said, all right, we will take control of the Soviet debt so we would avoid the repetition of the situation that happened in 1971 after the Bolshevik uh, putsch in Russia when uh, the Soviet, uh, the, the Bolshevik Russia rather, uh, defaulted on all the uh, Russian Empire debt. So, similarly, uh, as it stands today, uh, the permanent members of the Security Council, um, the legal permanent members, uh, they are still uh, quite concerned uh, with uh, what might, uh, what what may happen to the Russian this time nuclear arsenal and uh, to many other uh, uh, important things. So they are not ready to speak uh, about the removal of um, the Russian Federation from the Soviet seat in the Security Council. That should not, however, discourage us because it doesn't really change uh, our legal evaluation of the situation and it doesn't really change the fact, which is obvious to everyone around the world, that the Russian actions um, are not compatible not only with permanent membership, but with the membership of the United Nations uh, as such. I was very much um, happy to hear about a month ago uh, on the eve of uh, Russian uh, presidency that my colleague, uh, the American permanent representative to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she said in one of the interviews 
that Russia should not be in the Security Council in the first place. However, then she immediately continued and she said, but Russia is a permanent member and we cannot do anything about it. But nevertheless, I think it was uh, a very important um, informed uh, decision of uh, the United States to say that Russia should not be in the Security Council in the first place. So we will see what happens next. Uh, because the major global changes, including in the architecture of uh, global security, were normally uh, occurring after First World War, Second World War. So now when we experience a major war since World War II, uh, I think that um, following the military and political defeat of the current uh, regime in Moscow, uh, the issue of the presence uh, of uh, the Russian Federation in the Security Council can be on the table. No, absolutely. Plus, plus, you know, we some people have in countries have been calling for the uh, reform of the Security Council for for quite a long time, um, and and as the as Ukraine's permanent representative um, to the UN, how have you dealt with Russia's propaganda at the UN, and do you think that this kind of disinformation tactics are having an impact in certain countries, especially in the global south? This is also a a subject we, we discussed with Bob Ray, uh, Canada's permanent um, uh, representative at the UN. I think, uh, well, first of all, about the IJN, which is Intergovernmental Negotiations on the Reform. They indeed are taking uh, place for years, uh, but uh, it is very important to remind to everyone that the scope and the powers um, uh, of uh, the permanent members and permanent membership was not uh, part uh, of uh, these uh, negotiations, so it is not, uh, they even have no uh, mandate to discuss the powers uh, and uh, other things uh, pertaining to the permanent membership. Uh, Russian propaganda, um, well, what can I say? I mean, it's very powerful on the one hand because the uh, Russians are present both diplomatically, militarily, and uh, in terms of uh, uh, the media uh, in uh, Africa, Asia, in Latin America. I mean, Russia Today, uh, which is not a media outlet, uh, and Russia Today is uh, a weaponized um, media outlet uh, that been one of the weapons of the Russian uh, state, uh, broadcasted in many languages. And uh, they are still very... Present And I regret that some of the main uh, Western media outlets like BBC or Radio, Radio France Internationale, they reduced, they reduced their coverage, uh, including in, uh, in Africa um, in, in particular. When it comes to the Russian propaganda here in, uh, in New York, and in particular in uh, the Security Council or the General Assembly, uh, I think that everybody by now do realize uh, that, uh, as by the way, as uh, Bob Ray says uh, quite often, he says, I know that the Russians are lying when their lips start moving. Uh, so I think that uh, the seasoned uh, diplomats, ambassadors, uh, we now learn that the torrent of lies uh, uh, offered by the Russian ambassador is not really helpful. Yeah, and speaking about the the your fellow um, 
um, colleagues. Um, how how have you worked with UN members and, and diplomats to gain and maintain support for Ukraine over the past almost uh, more than more than a year when the, when the invasion started? How difficult has it been to maintain that kind of support? Uh, it's a very good question because uh, unlike uh, bilateral embassies um, in many important capitals, be it uh, Washington, Brussels, London, or Ottawa. Um, uh, we have to deal, every one of us, have, uh, we have to deal with 193 countries. While when you uh, a bilateral ambassador, you just deal with one government. You know. Indeed, in New York, you have to work with as many uh, ambassadors as uh, possible because uh, sooner or later they all go to the General Assembly Hall and they have uh, to press the button in support uh, of your position. So I'm very proud that as a result of uh, the work of my team and uh, uh, work of my colleagues uh, from the Canadian, American, British, uh, EU uh, delegations and others, uh, we managed uh, to uh, have a very cross-regional and powerful um, support of Ukraine by 141-143 countries. Of course, uh, every country has uh, its uh, specific interests. Of course, we must listen uh, to them, uh, but we should listen to them in a manner that we do not uh, break uh, the integrity of our own position. The General Assembly, if you, as I often say, if you take a picture of uh, a photo of the General Assembly, uh, it is the world as is, and uh, unlike other photos you may take with your smartphone, you cannot Photoshop uh, the picture of the General Assembly. You need to walk uh, uh, in a targeted manner with every single country. Mm-hmm. Perhaps one last question before I let you go, because I'm sure you have a busy schedule. Um, what is? Do you think that one day uh, Russia will be brought to you justice for the crime of aggression and for the human rights violations that uh, Russian troops and Russian officials are um, 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 committing in Ukraine? Well, the accountability track uh, is one of the most important uh, uh, tracks. And, um, you know, the military defeat um, per se uh, does not ensure that uh, the war is over. The war will be over when uh, Russian government and Russian population have no appetite uh, to attack uh, again. Uh, you know, Germany was uh, Nazi Germany when it was uh, when it was militarily defeated. Uh, it uh, underwent a very profound denazification um, process. Russia. Uh, will not be occupied, at least I don't know any government that even uh, contemplates uh, occupation of the, of the Russian Federation. So it is the question how the uh, Russian state and Russian society uh, may go back to the beginning of the 90s, uh, to the initials uh, of a very long process uh, to democratization and to building the state uh, of, um, of law. So one of the most important uh, tools is uh, uh, accountability. 
And we, it's our responsibility, all of us, uh, to break the so-called of impunity. Uh, so ICC has mandate uh, to prosecute uh, crimes of um, crimes against humanity and uh, war crimes. Unfortunately, as it stands, uh, the ICC has no mandate uh, to prosecute uh, the crime of, uh, of aggression, which is uh, the mother of all crimes. So the discussion among uh, many uh, our allies and partners about the appropriate international format and mechanism to prosecute the crime of aggression is ongoing. Uh, there was a meeting um, in Tallinn of the core group. There was a summit um, of uh, the members of the core group um, uh, recently. Uh, so we discussed the best mechanism that can ensure that the Troika, the president, um, the prime minister, uh, and uh, the foreign minister can be brought uh, to the account. Yeah, this is an issue that my colleagues and I at MIGS have been working on for the past year as well, working with parliamentarians and experts on, on justice. Um, I just want to ask my colleague, Carl, if he perhaps uh, has a question. Yes, uh, Ambassador, thank you so much for joining us today and for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to share with us uh, the work that you're doing and giving us a perspective uh, of what's happening at the UN. Um, I would just like to add that there are many civil society organizations around the world, our institute included, that see the atrocity crimes and human rights abuses taking place. Uh, we won't stand quiet. We won't, um, we won't be silent in face of disinformation by the, by the government of Russia. And this October, we'll be hosting the Montreal International Security Summit with a focus on Ukraine and bringing uh, experts from around the world to build a political will and support for Ukraine to fight uh, and stop the atrocity crime. So just want to say thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. Um, I, I'm honored to be invited and I hope it was useful.